You're listening to Breakaway Wealth, the show designed to help you build wealth faster, think bigger, and break out of the herd. Now, here's your host, Jim Oliver. Welcome back, Breakaway Wealth. I'm your host, Jim Oliver, and with me today, my guest, Eric Brotman. Eric, welcome. Thanks, Jim. Great to be here. Eric, before we get started, just tell everybody a little bit about what you do and why you do it. I, I've been a financial advisor and wealth manager for going on 30 years now, and I, I found this passion very early in my adult life and I started BFG Financial Advisors 20 years ago, and we're bringing financial literacy to as many families as we can, even those who aren't clients. So what I really want to do is empower families to take better care of themselves financially and to hit financial independence and the goals that they want to hit. And so it's a bunch of fun to take them through that journey. So tell me what drove you. You said, you know, you kind of had that passion from an early age. Where'd the passion come from? It was a complete accident, actually. I was an English major in school and planning on law school. And I took a job at a brokerage firm in the legal department as a stepping stone to law school. And I just fell in love with the financial business and realized that I was working with people who were bereaved and I couldn't help them. It was too late. Someone had already died by the time they got to me mm. in that first job. And the planning was awful. I mean, this was a well-respected firm, but the planning was awful. Beneficiaries were wrong. Things weren't tied up. And I realized that I could be much more helpful on the planning side while people were living than I could on the cleanup side after somebody passed. Yeah, you know, Eric, I'm always anti kind of Wall Street financial planner because this is what people say that they're a financial planner is, hey, I'm mm -hmm. going to put you with back in the day, it was like Brinker Capital or something, some managed money thing. I'm just a middleman. I'm going to collect 1%. Now, 1% might not sound like a lot, but do the math on what percentage of your growth that is. And they basically didn't do anything. They just collect assets under management and build a relationship with the client, take them to lunch, take them for a beer, take them to golf. And that's it. I'm anti that laziness of that. So talk about how you interact with your clients. And I and read a uh, little bit about you on your website and mm -hmm. in the uh, info that you provided. Sure. You guys do things a lot differently than what I just described. Oh, a lot differently. I'm with you. I don't like the lazy investment side. I also don't like the insurance agents or bankers or other folks who masquerade as financial advisors because they have some form of licensing when that's not really what they do. We engage clients on a flat fee basis and it's a fee for advice. That does not mean we don't manage assets. We certainly do, <clears throat> but we do not use a third party to do that. We craft these portfolios ourselves, and we also try to stay extremely inexpensive because like you, I believe that the devil's in the details and that the costs matter. They really do. And so we have some clients for whom we work solely on a fee basis where we provide advice and recommendations and analysis throughout the year. We have others for whom we're managing assets or handling insurance matters or handling other estate matters. And that it really, it's one size doesn't fit all, you know, and, and our, our goal is not just to collect assets. It's to work with multi-generational families and help every generation of that family thrive. And so most of the folks who show up on our doorstep are somewhere between 40 and 60. They got parents getting older they're worried about. They got kids to educate. They're working 60 hours a week. They'd like to retire before they die, and they'd like to figure out how to do it all. And so we become advocates and co-pilots much more than salespeople. And it's, it's a, a different model. 
Yeah, you know, I like one thing that you said is the model for a lot of financial babysitters is what I really call them, or model Wall Street really wants is you put money in Wall Street for 20, 30, 40 years, you build up this lump sum of money, and then you distribute it or you live off the interest that it generates for the next 20, 30, 40 years, and then you die. And the whole time that you're distributing the money, you hope that you don't run out of money. And what we advocate is financial independence, financial freedom, and having, I don't want you to take 20, 30, 40 years to do that. I want you to do it in a much quicker way. So I like that you said financial freedom. So talk to me about how you teach clients about financial freedom. We teach on several different levels, one of which is sort of the academic level, which most clients don't care about. Most clients don't care how the watch works. They want to know what time it is. Right. Which is perfectly fine. But for those who do want to know how it works, the engineers and the architects in the room, we're happy to help with that. But for most folks, it's teaching them to reframe what retirement looks like and what financial freedom looks like. To me, it is the moment where work is optional. Right. Now, I don't consider retirement the absence of work. In fact, I consider that a, a good way to sit around waiting to die. Yeah. I think it's the absence of needing to work and it's figuring out how to create ongoing abundance and how to create doesn't necessarily have to be income. It can be a total return model, but how do you create a, a repeatable experience with the enough upside to handle inflation? Because let's face it, retirement is not a, a seven-year window like it was when Social Security was created. This idea that you'd work from 18 to 65 and be dead by 72 is no longer our reality. Right. And so Social Security, for example, is a pittance compared to what most of our clients are going to need to rely on and they don't even believe that's going to be there anyway. So it's really, I, we believe it's a you're on your own kind of model. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I've been doing this long enough. I have as well been helping. And I did fee-based financial planning for the first 15 years of my career. And in the last, whatever number, 30, 20, uh, not 30, 20 some years. <laughs> I was um, say, wow, you're. That's, I know, I'm, I'm getting up there. Uh, but <laughs> I've just specialized in showing people how to do infinite banking mm -hmm. and, you know, talking to them about financial freedom, abundance, asset, mm -hmm. buying assets, not instruments, stuff like that. But in the beginning, I would run into a lot of people that had pensions. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking about defined benefit pensions, not yep. defined contribution. Yep. I don't even want to say that those are pensions, but <clears throat> they're not like retirement plans, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and so somewhere in the early 70s, when Wall Street was in trouble, their buddies on Capitol Hill decided to pass a couple of laws that helped them get more money flowing to Wall Street when most people didn't put money in Wall Street like that. Mm -hmm. But it was you know, forming the IRA and then later, a few years later, the 401k. Mm -hmm. And I think that when I, I'm down here in Southwest Florida, so I see a lot of, quote, retired people. And I see some of them, probably the majority of them, living in some type of scarcity and the few that are living in abundance. And what I mean by that is they're not worried about the blue light special or the red light special, whatever it's called when you go to dinner at four o'clock. <laughs> and, you know, that restaurants are like, yeah, I'll give you 30% off because who the hell wants to eat at four o'clock in the afternoon? Right. So, you know, and at your country club, those are the ones that vote against every improvement because they can't afford it. I don't right. blame them. But then there are the people that have assets that are providing income. 
or they have some pension still from some, and they have guaranteed income, maybe guaranteed cost of living adjustment, and they have more security. But the people that I see that are the most happy are the people like you said. Retirement, my definition of retirement is be taken out of service, right? Mm. And I don't want to be taken out of service <clears throat> ever. Right. Right. And my mentor, Nelson Nash, he worked up until the few days before he died. And, you know, he liked what he did. So I don't think the concept of retirement's in the Bible, as you already know, because you stated some of the, the facts, is it started in Germany yes. in the 1800s. And, you know, men lived to be about 40 some years old. And they said, well, you know what? If you live too long and you make it to 65, We'll take care of you after that, right? So you had a, you had a way to plan. I got to get to sixty five on my own, and then the government's going to take care of me. I mean, I never want the government to take care of me. No, no, uh, but, ever. You know, talk about that transition and what you see now with people doing it themselves, government sponsored plans versus doing it on your own or outside of a qualified plan, and some of the perils. Well, let's start by being clear that a 401k is not an employee benefit plan. Right. It's an employer benefit plan. Yeah. And the reason that, that I believe that is that the defined benefit plan put the onus on the employer, whether that be a government agency or a corporation, to take care of its long-term workers beyond their working lives. The 401k is really passing the buck back to individuals and saying you're on your own. Yep. It also creates an unbelievable tax fallacy. And that tax fallacy is that your, your tax rate's higher today than it's going to be in 10 or 20 or 30 years. Right. And for a lot of people, that is just simply not true. In fact, the government is broke on so many different levels and is going to be looking to raise revenue, which is a nice way of saying raise taxes, yep. on those people of means, which means... If you've done a good job putting money away for yourself, the odds of your tax bracket being lower down the road is extremely slim. Yep. So we preach tax diversification, not just asset diversification. We, we want to have a, a diverse streams of income. We want to have as many of them be tax-free as possible. So that means using the strategies that allow retirees to not worry about what their income tax bracket is. There's also a reason why folks are leaving Maryland and Virginia and, well, not Virginia so much, but Maryland, Connecticut, New Jersey, New York, California, and coming to your neck of the woods. Yep. And it's because you can create tax arbitrage by taking a tax deduction while you're in a high tax state and then collecting when you're in a no income tax state. And that's why there's such an exodus to Florida. Everyone from Baltimore winds up in Naples yeah. and Fort Myers, which yeah. is, I, I, I should be looking at real estate there now because that's clearly where I have to wind up. So you're right. The employer-sponsored plans and particularly the government-sponsored plans, it's like playing Monopoly with someone who can change the rules midstream whenever they want to. Yeah. And I'm, I've talked to a lot of people who feel uncomfortable about the Roth. And the Roth in and of itself is a tax gift if they don't you know, do Lucy with the football from peanuts and move it right when you get to use it. Because um, right now it's a way to grow money and never pay taxes on again during your lifetime. Yeah. And it would not be constitutional to change that, but that's never stopped government before anyway. So I don't trust that the rules are not going to change. In fact, I'm convinced they're going to. And so we're trying to make sure that we have enough different buckets in play. Yep. And I like having assets that have some form of protection in them. 
I'm one of those rare birds who's a, a big fan of using permanent life insurance as an asset class and using it for collateral. And that makes me sort of an outlier in the Wall Street model because that takes money out of the Wall Street world. Yeah. But I'll tell you that, that I spend a, a significant amount of time teaching clients and working myself and having my own assets in the places where they're unlikely to be taxed again while I'm breathing. Right. Yeah, you know, I, I love what you said about the 401k and all of that, because what I ask people is, are taxes going up or down? But by the way, if you sit down with a financial planner and they tell you our goal is for you to be in a lower tax bracket when you retire, then fire that person. Quickly. Because if you want to have less money in retirement, then when you're working, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. And it's such a herd mindset. And it's such a rat race mindset for people to think that that's the goal is to be in a lower tax bracket. I mean, it, it drives me crazy. Mm -hmm. The other thing is, like you said on the Roth, would you rather pay tax on the seed or the harvest? I'd rather pay it on the seed because then I know what the rate is. But no one would ever invest in real estate or a business if they didn't understand the tax consequences. And one thing we can all agree on, even advocates for 401ks, we have no idea what the tax consequences are going to be. And right. I don't want to scare anybody, but the government has seized physical gold in the past when we were ramping up for a war, right? World War II. And they sent out a letter that said, if you have physical gold, turn it in. And it's going to be valued at this price. Six months later, after they confiscated all the gold, guess what they did to that value? I assume they bumped it up. They bumped it up. How about they that? Owned it all, right? How about so that? So they stole from you. So the fact that you would think, or some people think, that the government wouldn't steal from you again is ludicrous. I mean, it's being a fool. And I kind of equate it, Eric, to if you and I were going to go to the movies and we pull up to the movie theater. And there's two different movies playing. One is a reassuring lie, and the other one is an inconvenient truth. Where's the line? The line's at the lie. The line's at the lie. Always. Because how many people have you ever heard say, well, you know what? If we're all going down, we're all going down together. What I'm doing with my money doesn't seem right. A 401k doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem like it's growing. But if we're all going down, we're all going down together. Man, if that's not herd mentality, what is? Well, those are the lemmings. That's the cliff. Yeah. And you know what? You got to decide. Is that what you want to be? If that's what you want to be, then keep listening to the government and let's listen to the news that tells you your 401k is your greatest asset. Yeah, but it's not. But there's a lot of misnomers out there, Jim. There's a lot of people who are preaching. And usually it's based on wherever they are in the financial food chain. Right. You know, your mortgage broker is going to tell you how much you can afford or how much you can qualify for, not how much you should borrow. Your real estate agent is going to tell you the, the biggest possible thing they can get you into because that's where they make the most money. They're not your advocate. They're your tour guide, but not your advocate yeah. if they're buyer's agents. So all of those various things are troublesome, and it's very difficult to distill good, objective, solid advice from nonsense. Yeah. And we always tell people that we're guides. You're the hero of the story. We're not trying to tell you how great we are, but we're going to educate you so that you can decide what is the best thing for you. And I'm sure you've read this book, Eric. I used to pass it out to all of my clients. I used to just order it in cases. 
the richest man in Babylon. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And one of the tenants in the richest man in Babylon is invest in what you know. So if you're a doctor, do you own your building? Well, how do you buy your operatories if you're a dentist? You know, I mean, are you leasing them? Mostly. Most you of know, them do. Probably, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, and, yeah. And they just think it's part of doing business. Well, what if you could save money on that and then mm -hmm. take that money and buy assets or put it in an investment that was going to grow? And all of a sudden, you're in a lot better shape. But talk about what you see kind of coming down the road. And maybe you said 40 to 60, but what are the 40-year-olds thinking differently than the 60-year-olds that you're seeing? Well, the, the, it's, it's funny because generationally, we're seeing a, a dramatic shift between the boomers, the Xers, the millennials, and then the Gen Zs. Right. Um, and so I'm going to stick to a, a sort of a generational way because people can grasp that and it's not necessarily a number so much as a phase of life. The Gen Xers, and I'm a proud Gen Xer. I think you are too, my friend. But, yeah, but, yeah. but as a, a proud Gen Xer, we are the little generation that barely could because we're going to be pulled the way the boomers need to go politically. And then we're going to be pulled the way the millennials feel like going politically. And we're swaying in the wind. And it's just simply a fact because we don't have enough numbers. Yeah. Um, Gen Xers are still in a breakfast club reality bites kind of world where it feels like everything's stacked against us. And we were the first generation not to do as well as our parents. Right. Now, I don't say that across the board naturally, but it's true in general. Millennials took a totally different path and became free agents. They were the first generation to understand that they literally were on their own. Xers still thought they were holding on to this gold watch pension thing that their parents and grandparents had, and we just simply don't. That ball's been moved from us. But the Gen Zers are interesting because the Gen Zers, not only do they know that they're free agents and they have the side hustles and they're doing what the millennials are doing, they also are not trying to do it by themselves. Millennials fiercely want to do it themselves, and they're making terrible mistakes in a lot of cases. And then they're bringing people in to fix what they've done. Yeah. Gen Zers are saying, look, I'm going to outsource darn near everything. I'm going to let the people who are experts at things do it. And so I actually have a, a lot of hope for Gen Z. 40-year-olds are still in a position where we're entering. I say we like I'm still 40. I'm not. But 40-year-olds but are entering their prime earning years. In the book that I wrote, I, I consider that sort of the junior year of your financial life where now you're starting to make real money. You have tax issues. You have some different things to worry about. You're in that sandwich. At 60, you're trying to figure out, do I have enough amplitude? Do I have enough abundance that I could quit my job tomorrow? Yeah. Not because I want to, because I might love what I do, but yeah. I need to know that I could. And it's a scary thing. When that paycheck yeah. stops, it doesn't matter how big the paycheck is, but when it stops... It is an alarming experience, whether you're 50 or 60 or 75. Right. And I think there's yeah. a lot of fear. No, I totally agree with you. And you know what? Fear makes you do stupid things or not do anything, which is stupid as, as well. But the bottom line is if you do common strategies, you're going to get common results. So if you want to do what everybody else is doing in the herd and you want to stand in that reassuring lie line, you're going to be in trouble. Eric, how do people get a hold of you? And you talked about your book. Tell us about your book, too. Uh, the book is called Don't Retire, Graduate. Like it. And it's written in a way to reframe, reframe what retirement is as moving towards something instead of retreating and disappearing. And it's written as sort of a fun, it's not a textbook, but it's written like a college curriculum, taking you through freshman, sophomore, junior, and senior years of your financial life where freshman year is dealing with student loans and your first employee benefits and your first job and all the sort of adulting. 
and sophomore year is maybe buying your first home and getting married and thinking about kids and family. And your junior year is where you're into the high earnings, high tax, different level of planning on the investment side. And then senior year is not just estate planning, but legacy. How do you want to be remembered and what do you want to leave behind that's more important than money? So that can be found at don'tretiregraduate.com or on Amazon or at brotmanmedia.com, which is where we post all of our content and much of it is free and it's financial literacy resources and courses that are available. And then our firm, if you'd like to consider working with us, is at bfgfa.com. Awesome. Awesome. All right, Eric, what's the best advice that anyone's ever given you? The, the best advice I ever got was career advice. Okay. And I was a young trainee in this business. I was 22 years old. And I still remember the moment where he said to me, I'm going to tell you two things, and I don't mean to offend you, but you look like somebody's grandkid. And so I'm going to give you two pieces of advice. And if you follow them, you'll be more successful. He said, number one, don't ever wear your school ring again. It makes you look, makes you look 14. And okay. so that went into a drawer. And number two, he said, create a group of other young professionals in different industries and start to learn from each other and grow that network from the ground up. You don't have to be a mastermind to figure that out. And he used the word mastermind before that was a thing. Right. And I created a group called Mastermind in 1995. I wish I had trademarked it because then everything would be comped here at this point. Everybody's doing yeah, it. But yeah. I, I created a group because I was jealous of the folks who said, oh, I've been working with this person for 20 years or 30 years or 40 years. And of course, I couldn't say that. It wouldn't have been honest. Yeah. And now... I have those networks because we started as young professionals. We still get together. We still learn from each other. And of course, we're no longer young professionals. Now we're seasoned veterans. So I would say the best advice was to have that stakeholder group and transparency with folks who did things differently than I did. Oh, that's, yeah, no, that's perfect. The mastermind group is priceless. Yeah. Because, and it's funny because a lot of people start those groups and a lot of people quit them mm -hmm. because it takes a while to get momentum. It takes a while for people to get comfortable with everybody in the group. And sometimes you got to make adjustments to who's in the group. So well, they you know, also work just like, isn't that funny? Success takes work. It does. Right? It also people confuse a mastermind or an executive dialogue with a leads group. Yeah, I'm not talking. about. I don't yeah. want to lead. Like, yeah. don't hand me somebody's name who owns a dry cleaner and says, here's somebody you should talk to. Right. That's not what and I'm here for. I, want... and they go, I don't want to talk. To right. You. I want to learn. I want to be two degrees of separation from everything I need to know. Right. whether it's medicine or finance or mortgages or legislature or whatever it is. Yeah, no, perfect. All right, Eric, if God came down from heaven and only allowed you to retain the knowledge from one book that you've read, what would that book be? You know, that's such a hard question. I like it a lot. And I'm going to take an answer that's more philosophy than business. And I'm going to say, if I only had one book on my shelf for the rest of time, it would be Atlas Shrugged. I love it. And as long as I retain and maintain that wisdom, everything else will take care of itself. You know, it's funny. I, I don't know how many people I've talked to about that book in the last year for some reason. And here's what I get. Man, that's a tough book to read. And I said, you got to get through it. It's just like yeah. anything. Like, first of all, I think you read it and then you just start right back and read it again. Yes. But the philosophy in the book, I was really disappointed. I don't think they ever finished that series. The movies? Uh, of movies, did they? They did, and okay. they're not good. No, I know. Because, well, I because no one in Hollywood would take the role because it I was know. such a taboo role. Like, they won't teach it at schools. Universities aren't allowed to teach that book. Even universities turn down foundational gifts to teach courses on that book because it so undermines the university system. They won't do it. Well, 
yeah don't i mean we you know we're we're <laughs> wrapping up here but we could yeah. go like another two hours on that oh yeah and what universities are designed to do to our children and the schools and everything mm -hmm. else but you know it makes me think of another book by frederick bassiat that was uh, the law mm. and basically what he says is if i steal from you eric that's illegal and i go to jail but if i pass a law that i can steal from you then i steal from you and i don't go to jail right it's like legal plunder is you know it's, it was written in the 1700s so it was plunder back then i love that word but that's what the government does to you and if you don't get out of the herd there's nowhere good that you're going to go. So, Eric, thank you so much for being with us today. And Breakaway Wealth, we're going to wrap this up like we do every episode with the incredible words of Earl Nightingale. Take it away, Earl. Here's the key to success and the key to failure. We become what we think about. Now, let me say that again. We become what we think about. Once again, thank you so much for taking the time to hear what was shared on today's podcast. If you are looking to discover new wealth building strategies, then go to community.createtailwind.com. That's community.createtailwind.com to join our free online community and get access to free courses and in-depth training videos designed to help you build wealth and break away from the herd. Click the link in the show notes to access the community today. Thanks again for listening.